Hi, welcome to Overlanding from Home. My name is Anton. I'm an avid overlander, lover of nature, and humanitarian by heart. The past while, I've always been interested in the outdoors, and I want to hear about other people's experiences and their rigs. Yes, the big rigs, the small rigs, everything they've done to design them and how they plan it. I hope you enjoy listening. Let's find out who today's guest is. Today I have a, a really wonderful uh, family, husband and wife, Emily and uh, Aaron. Um, unfortunately, Emily is not available at the moment, but Aaron's given us time to sit and chat and and uh, talk a lot about rigs and travel, and, and they've done a lot. They've been around a lot, so I'm just looking at their website now to be to be sure. There is uh, Australia, Africa, Caribbean, which sounds epic, uh, Central America, and North America, of course. They are from Oregon. Um, and they are at the moment going through a normal work day. Unfortunately, the crisis has hit and Emily is a nurse and working. Aaron is a teacher, so he's got a lot on his plate. Uh, Emily, I didn't even know. Do you, do you see your wife at the moment, uh, Aaron, com- considering the circumstances? Yes, we do. And we're actually in Washington, not Oregon, but that's okay. Um, oh. <laughs> no worries. that one up. Welcome. That's all right. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all Pacific Northwest. It's all the same. Um, so yeah, I do still see her. She is or has been working with um, some patients. She's a labor and delivery nurse, so she's mostly doing the, um, you know, births and things like that. Um, okay. So she's not in the super acute COVID situation. Um, obviously, still very careful. There's tons of precautions. Why? Or the United States is, you know, really struggling with this right now. Um, correct. Correct. <clears throat> So she is still she's still working um, with patients who could very well potentially have COVID nineteen. We are having issues in uh, even South Africa, where a lot of the location areas that don't have the money and the resources are not considering all the options, and 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 maybe rightly so, maybe wrong, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. we're, it's it's uh, it's a crunch week for us in Ca- in South Africa, not not necessarily Cape Town. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a week where they're actually going to figure out exactly what the facts are, um, yeah. and we're going to hope that it uh, it pans out. I mean, it's uh, it's it's only time, but nevertheless, these things will happen. And let's get into our chat, man. I'm super excited. Let's do it. About yeah, and I'm I'm really keen. There's so much I want to know and. Um, just, just, just firstly, looking at your website, you guys are quite thorough. I mean, you've got ethical travel, uh, obviously all the destinations that you've been to, um, travel tips, all that type of thing. Do you get a lot of people on your, uh, uh, um, on, through your website contacting you saying, listen, how did you do this? Or, or where did you go about doing that? Was, is, is, is your website interactive, for example? Yeah, um, we do. We actually get most of our correspondence through our Instagram, but okay. we do, um, yeah, so our big thing, the reason we exist is um, really just ethical travel and responsible travel. So we like to do it through a very a variety of means. You know, yes, we travel without overlanding often. And in those kind of situations, it's <clears throat> trying to decide where your money's going to go and trying to be responsible and leave the place where you go better than where you found it. So, for example, we could go to Mexico. And we could stay in a big, all-inclusive posh hotel where none of the money that we spend is going into the local area where we're staying. None of, you know, we're not getting a proper cultural exchange. Everything is very, very curated and sterilized for us, you know, white people going down there. 
So what we what we want to do is we want to spend as much money as we can locally. We want to spend as much money as we can to that goes directly to the people who are living in the area where we're visiting. Because yes. there are so many tours and cruises and things like that where the money doesn't actually go into the local communities. So that's one of our really big things is, you know, try to get, try to travel on a little more intimate level with yes, where you're yes. going. Um, <clears throat> and obviously also my wife's a nurse. She does a lot of humanitarian nursing. She was in Sierra Leone during the Ebola crisis. She's, okay. She was in Nepal during the big earthquake. She's been all over doing humanitarian nursing. And so for her, a lot of the, a lot of what we're doing now is talking to people who are getting into the medical field and want to go overseas and nurse or yes. want to go overseas and practice medicine and really guiding them to how do you do that ethically? A lot of organizations, especially in America, will be like, oh, we'll go to somewhere in Central America where they'll let us do whatever we want so we can practice. But is that really ethical? Are you, no, licensed? No. Are you licensed to do that? What good are you doing? And then it goes even to a larger scale where it is, if you go in there, you do a clinic, you know, say a bunch of dentists go to Guatemala. They, you know, do a big dental clinic, you know, pull a bunch of teeth, do a bunch of stuff, and then they leave. There's no sure. long-term care like, how is the treatment that you're giving in that specific instance going to carry on once you're gone? And so we, we do a lot of stuff because there's a lot of ethical gray areas in uh, medical volunteering and just volunteering in general, volunteerism. Right. So we've, um, we've looked into that a lot and we write about that a lot. Um, and then for me, it's really the overlanding thing. Well, for both of us, <laughs> she's, she's, sure. she's hooked on it too, completely. And so we try to do, we talk about, especially in the States, we talk about how and how you responsibly overland. How do you do it in a way that is, you know, leaves a place better than you found it? It could yeah. just be, you know, picking up your trash, picking up your garbage when you're done, doing a sweep of the area where you're staying and picking up other pieces of garbage. It could be, what tracks do you do? Do you make a new track? Do you stay on developed tracks? Um, whose land are you on? You know, especially in sure. America, white people came and <laughs> there were a lot of people here already when white people came and took it over. Yeah. And so it's something that's important for us is like acknowledge, hey, this is who actually, you know, in ancestral land this is. And how do we respect the cultures and things like that, which are still there. They've just been suppressed a little bit. And then on top of that, we have all sorts of different public lands. And so it's really important to make sure that what we're doing is legal, even if nobody can see what we're doing, just because, you know. Because it's I on, can't see it. Yeah. It's on brand for us. So <laughs> No, I completely agree. I mean, also, you know, people people, you know, you guys have a very good following and people um, you know, see see what you see, um, because you share a lot of it, obviously. And I think uh, the one thing I want to leave with listeners across the board, whether you're volunteering or doing anything, you know, over overlanding is be mindful and respectful. You know, um, there are so many different cultures, the whole of of Africa is about is tribal and about tribes. All the politics in Africa is tribal. Um, in Ethiopia, the the the, um, the people in power in South Africa, in Kenya, in Nigeria, all over Africa, everything is tribal. Yeah. And um, although it gets converted into politics, and they they generally play the game, um, 
it makes it very challenging because not everyone is the same. And, and it, 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 it opens up a big door where, where people come in and volunteer into Africa and they, they think, oh, I'm just going to go and give. But they don't think about what they're doing. They give things and then like a, you know, like a, like a hit and run. They'll mm-hmm. hand something over and then disappear. Oh, I did very good. <clears throat> yeah. But it's actually not very good because you're just giving and now there's these expectations. There's nothing left behind for these guys to do. And that, that's something I take very seriously with my humanitarian work. I battle to find money to do my work because I'm doing a lot with it. I'm leaving something behind. Mm-hmm. I'm taking someone or I'm, I'm finding I'm working with someone locally or a cultural person, for example, that is that lives with and in the, and amongst the community. I train them to do the reading glass thing um, and I leave the kit of reading of the uh, for the reading glasses with them in order to help everyone after them. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's a ways and a means that I'm not just dropping it and going, you know, I'm not for, I'm not forgetting about the people for next year and the, and the school kids for the next two, three years, you know? So there's, there's a lot behind it and it, it makes it very frustrating. And there's a huge, I wouldn't say a drive, but there's a huge movement. I would maybe I should use mm-hmm. where, where people are going onto YouTube and saying, stop giving to Africa, you know, um, stop doing this and, and, and stop just giving handouts and uh, all that type of thing. So I think what you're saying is very valid and very true. And, and if you can give back and teach and le- and, and mm-hmm. learn, you know, because there's always ways to learn. I mean, not again, not every country is the same, but it, it makes it a complete challenge when you're not considering your local environment. And Tracks for Africa, I think you'll know who they are. You know, they they yeah. oh yeah, the Gaia maps of uh, of the US, and mm-hmm. they're very respectful around the tracks that they put up on their website. Yeah. Um, and they get people contacting them saying you've put a road through our property. We, we don't want people driving through it. So they've now, not now, they have been for years removing mm-hmm. the road or putting a break in it, which means that if, if I'm trying to top from um, uh, Maun and Botswana to, uh, I use a silly one, to Vintok um, across the border, it, mm-hmm. won't, it won't select a certain route because it's through a private property and they don't want it. So it's going to give you a route that will work, that's approved. And, I yeah. think that's very, very important and very, again, mindful as to what's available out there, you know, and, and if you can think about it, do it, you know, just be respectful. I, I think I think your comments are very valid and I, I, I really applaud you for uh, sticking to them. Well, thank you. I, I, One of the things that I want to just go back on, Roku, you're saying, you know, a lot of what Africa is, is tribal. And I mean, it's so true. And Western people, they see the countries that were made by white people. They see the, or colonialists, right? So you look at Kenya, Kenya and Tanzania, you know, they have, you know, they have Maasai in Kenya, they have Maasai in Tanzania. There's no border. The the border was made by colonialists, right? Correct. And so then you go in and you have this expectation, oh, they're Kenyan, they're all the same. They all, it's just, it's ridiculous that there's not enough forethought or education done for people going over there in order to, you know, properly be respectful of the customs and things like that. I completely agree with you. And it's very challenging because to them, they don't care. And I know that in in some parts of Africa, even though there's a fence, there's a lot of respect and understanding, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, between areas. Uh, uh, north, in northern Namibia, for example, you've got the Himba people. Mm-hmm. And the Himbas are not necessarily the leading tribal party in the government. 
So they don't really get get cared for very much. They don't get the the resources for the schools and mm-hmm. and all those type of things that that the other regions do. Um, but the one thing that's respectful is that they have the freedom to move around in certain areas um, and different parts purely mm-hmm. because they know it's tribal and uh, they they know that that these people have been there for hundreds of years in in South Africa. Unfortunately, it's not entirely like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've we had people here before the Zulus, um, the local Khoisan or the Bushman people, which are, are more mm-hmm. known for, um, have been here for for hundreds of years where the Zulus actually came down from Central Africa. Yeah. And not many people know that. Everyone thinks that, you know, they tell everyone that, that they were here first. They weren't here first. You know, that's why there were fights with the Zulus and the, um, why Shaka Zulu was fighting for power against um, the British. And, mm-hmm. you know, you had the Brood War, which is the farmers' war. I mean, it's just endless, man. It's, yeah. Oh, there's so much. <laughs> Uh, it's crazy there's so much <laughs> there's so much to navigate and we we have the same thing going on in the u.s to a smaller degree too with all of the native americans who have been you know displaced by white settlers coming in and being like we like this land we're going to put you in this garbage land instead and yes, yes. you know it's the same thing it's just it's it's troubling and it's really hard it's to very, navigate sometimes very Okay, so I want to I want to start asking a few questions, man. I want to I want to learn a few other things. So, Let's so what it. is your favorite what is your favorite type of terrain? I mean, what is your what is your if you could choose today, what would it be? Oh man, that's so hard. So in Washington State, we have a lot of coniferous forests, so evergreen forest, um, lots of mountains. Uh, we have temperate rainforests here, which is really beautiful to travel in, but. I honestly, I think my favorite terrain is probably high desert. So we're talking altitudes like, you know, 3,000 meters, you know, 2,000 meters, something like that up there where it's dry and arid and things like that. That's probably okay. my favorite. So Utah area um, in those states is one of our favorite places to go. Okay. Just barren and rocky and beautiful. Um, but really... One of the things that we're so fortunate with in the USA is we have so many varying types of terrain. That, That's true. I mean, I can drive for 24 hours and be almost any terrain that I want. And I, <laughs> every, every terrain has its own separate challenges and its own things that I love about it. I love being up high above the tree line um, just because it's rugged and beautiful. So like the mountains of Colorado, I adore as well. There's really, yeah. and I mean, I love the grasslands. I love the Serengeti and being over there and driving through that is just bananas too. So really, <laughs> I don't have a favorite, but I can find things that I love in every single terrain. Uh, I can say the same. I mean, uh, my daughter asked me a, a while ago, like, Daddy, which, which is my favorite country? And I said to her that every country that I've been into has something that I enjoy and I love about it. Exactly. Um, I can't choose one because if I talk about Kenya or Nigeria or Congo or uh, Ghana or I've been to Somalia, I've been to Djibouti, uh, you know, I can, I, it's just every single one has its own attributes. Mm-hmm. Um, but so talking about all this different terrain, what tires did you choose for your vehicle considering that? So, so folks, if you don't know, they ship their their Jeep from the US across to uh, um, Africa. Well, we want to. They didn't use, we sorry? have we haven't yet. We want to. 
Oh, no, I thought you shipped your, your Jeep uh, um, to do all your trips in Africa, no? Oh, no, I wish we did. No, we rented while we're over there. Ah, okay, we I that one wrong again. That's okay. all right, no worries. So, um, so what do you use then with all your different terrains then in the U.S.? Uh, well, Coop, I mean, not Coopers, uh, BFGs. You'll be very happy to know we actually do run Coopers on our Jeep. Um, oh, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I have... My my wife yells at me about this all the time. I spend almost every waking hour that I have free researching things about overlanding or my Jeep or something like that. So when we ended up buying the Jeep, I wanted to get something that was a really, really good terrain, a good good tire that can really get all my bases covered. And, you know, most people go right to the BF Goodrich KO2 because everybody has it. It's reliable. But... I also don't like to be like everybody. I I, yeah. need, I need to be different. And one of the great things is when I was researching tires, I um, so I've gone through tons of different tires. We've had uh, Continental Terrain Contact All Terrains. We've had the Kumo Road Ventures, which you guys don't get down there. We've had the yeah. F- Falcon Wild Peak AT3Ws. I've had tons of different tires. And um, we finally settled for the Jeep. We settled on the um, Cooper Discover AT3 XLTs. They're brand new. I think actually you guys yes. just got them in South Africa. They we are... have. I'm looking at a, at a picture of your front end now. And uh, I actually wanted to get the AT, uh, the AT3Zs, I think it is. And mm-hmm. um, uh, they didn't have it in a 16-inch, only in a 17-inch. Yeah. So I didn't end up getting them. So I got the tire that I knew worked anyway for me because I've already had them, which were the... Mm-hmm. The Maxes, the yeah, ST Maxes. ST Maxes are great tires. Because there's so much paved highway in the U.S., we need a tire that is really well-behaved there. And then we need one that's great in the snow, and we need one that's great in the wet because we live in the Pacific Northwest. So we w- I was always been a fan of the Cooper AT3s or Discover AT3s. And when they came out with the XLT, which is just like the you know beefier version of the same tire, I yes. I was sold. Um, we have it in a ten ply, but I think it's a one twenty one rated E E rated tire. Um, and they're great. <laughs> one of the things that I struggled with then is what size tire I should get, just because yes, you know, with Jeeps you can fit a forty two inch tire on there if you put a little bit of a lift on there. It's bananas, crazy. Man. And you know, Jeeps and overlanding aren't as synonymous as you would think right now. Most people who own Jeeps want to go do rock crawling or go drive on trails for the weekend and things like that. And so after doing a ton of research, trying to figure out what tire size I should get, most people do a 35. Most people do like a 35, 12.5. And for us, 12.5 is just, that's just too wide of a tire. I don't, there's no reason to have that. And honestly, 35s, you can do just the same thing with a 33 in an overlanding context. And 35s are heavier. They're harder on your differentials, things like that. So we actually went yeah. with a, um, a 285-75-17, which you guys don't actually have available down in South Africa yet. But it's like a it's like a 33.8. So I round up to a 34. So about 86 centimeters. Yeah, about 86 centimeters. It's big. It's, it's big. It's a big tire, but it's yeah. not... I mean, the Jeep comes with a 32 standard, so it didn't actually do that much of a, um, we didn't lose really any fuel economy. Um, It is pretty wide, and we were hoping to get 
a little bit narrower of a tire, but they don't make what I wanted in a 10 and a half inch, which is what I was really looking for. So this one is like 11.2 inches. So it's not that much wider. Well, I've had, uh, I, I think you know this already, but you know, you, you only get 20% in the length of the tire when you drop the tire pressure. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, you get very little on the width. And uh, I, I ended up, uh, I've, I've had the Cooper 285s, 75-16s on my vehicle and okay. I have a Defender 110 and um, I don't have a lift kit on mine. I'm just one of those guys where I don't want to add on things that are, that are not normal. You yeah, know? of and, course uh, lifting it, Lifting it crazy and putting on massive tires mm-hmm. is not, a, not like a big deal for me. And I've kept it uh, au natural and I've had no problems with it at all mm-hmm. until uh, this guy, this complete fruitcake, arranged and, ordered, and, uh, and organized four Cooper mud terrains. Um, the SCT Pros, yeah. And those are two 8.5s. And every bump that I hit that was pretty hectic, it just it just grounded in my wheel arch. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't wait to get them off. And I, I ended up um, uh, selling them and buying uh, two 4.5s, mm-hmm. uh, 75, 16s. And I completely love them. I have no problem with them. I've got good power, not very noisy. Um, when I drop tire pressure, I get my 20% or so. Um, and, you know, part of the problem that, that I have is corrugation on some of the areas that, that we go. People mm-hmm. don't drop the tire pressure and it completely rattles the fillings or, out your teeth. Or they don't put it in uh, four-wheel drive. Yeah. No, they don't. And, yeah. uh, and it's silly. And, and unfortunately, some of it is local related because, mm-hmm. you know, they drive those roads so much. They, mm-hmm. they drive them at speed. They don't drop the tire pressure because they couldn't be bothered. And, and, and maybe rightly so. It's their, it's their area. But, yes, it kills the rest of us, man. Last year, <laughs> I did a road. Uh, on my uh, um, at the top of uh, Mahamba, we went over the pond for my humanitarian trip into a little town called Saronga. Jeez, that road completely destroyed me. I mean, I literally went around checking every nut and bolt. Completely destroyed me. I, oh my god! I was I was I was still shaking for about a day mm-hmm. after that when we when we stopped because it was so bad. But but I'm I'm glad you're using really awesome tires, man. That's. Uh, it's pretty epic, man. I, I love Cooper. I, I'm I, I'm not sponsored by them, by the way, but I, I completely did all my research, all my homework, and I've never had a problem. They got good technical support. They got good tire for life, which is the the sales and service afterwards. Mm-hmm. I think it's awesome. So I'm going to ask another big question here: yeah. ground or uh, rooftop tent? Oh man! So um, <laughs> I grew up in the Scouts, so I've been sleeping on the ground forever yeah but um we actually have a rooftop tent we're on our third iteration of rooftop tents so we keep upgrading um yeah i I think with with emily she really likes to be sleeping above the car and i do too and i was skeptical at first when we got into it because you know i've always been one who sleeps on the ground and this is whatever but the speed of opening and closing and just the comfort <laughs> convenience dude <laughs> oh it gets anton it gets so bad with us so we had one of the ones that you know folds in half that was our first tent yes and it was a, it was a company called yakima a local company here it was their first rooftop tent they ever made it wasn't very good so we yeah. we got rid of that one and we bought another one from a, a company down in oregon called free spirit and okay. um, they're called Sheepy in Europe and Africa, the same tents. And um, it was great. We loved it. 
but once again, it was one that you fold in half and you put the cover over. And, you know, when we first got it, we were like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. It's so easy to set up. But then when you wake up in the morning and it's four degrees and you're cold and it's wet and you need to put your tent away, it can still be pretty miserable. Yeah, and so then we actually just recently <laughs> bought a James Baroud, which is okay. like the, po wow. the poshest of posh tents in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we absolutely love it. There it is. is just, I've done, I did a ton of research um, because we're a travel blog, because we have a really active Instagram. We wanted one with really great windows so you could see. And James Baroud just, they have 360 degree windows. And yes, it was yes. just, it was phenomenal. It definitely hurt the pocketbook very badly, but um, it's great. And the hard shell's great. It sets up really quickly and the mattress is comfortable. It's just, it's, it's like a hotel room on top of the Jeep. It's amazing. I have a, I camp for sleeper yeah. and uh, I have a problem finding, I actually have to have a sheet made for the two pieces of the foam inside mm -hmm. because it's so big. Um, I'm not allowed to take the, the king size sheet from our bed at home <laughs> to put in there because it's, it's, it's the only thing that, that kind of fits and it still doesn't fit properly. That's how huge this thing is inside. Yeah. And I have, a, I have a family of three. There's, there's three of us. So for me, um, you know, there's, there's nothing worse, dude. And, and I, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure you guys will totally get it, but there's nothing worse than you rock up um, at a campsite like late and your daughter's crying because she's hungry and she's been in a car like half a day mm -hmm. and she's like four years old and you don't want to sit there finding blue one pole to meet green red pole and oh my gosh. you still got to start the fire. It's completely that your wife wants to stab you with your own knife. Oh yeah, It's the complete end of the world. So convenience on a tent, I am a huge fan. I spend good money on it and I would not complain again. Yeah. That thing is completely epic. Well, and Emily and I, we only ever spend one night somewhere. So, and we're usually in the middle of the bush and we're far away from any yes. sort of resources. So being able to park and have the tent up, we keep all of our bedding and everything, pillows, blankets, sleeping bags in the tent. We just close it around the bedding. So our bed's yes. already made. So literally we can be parked and in bed if we want in under five minutes. Lovely. And completely lovely. and the inverse too, you know, probably 10 minutes in from wake up time, we can be on the road. We haven't timed it. So that could be a gross exaggeration, but, um, <laughs> well, you, know, you know, we're not big foodies. So we'll just eat some oatmeal and hit the road or eat some porridge and hit the road and move on. Yeah. I can, I can tell you though, you know, Aaron, this is where, this is where a lot of overlanders or campers go completely wrong. They always do all their research and homework as to how quick it is to set up a tent um, or how quick it is to do something. But they 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 mostly get it wrong because it's it isn't necessarily about how quick it is to set how quick up. To take it down. It's about how quick it is to take it down and pack it away. 100%. And and that is exactly where a lot of people don't look and think. And it grinds me because mm -hmm. You know, people will buy a tent that that costs. Oh, but it's so it's got this, it's got that. Okay, fine. But when when you need to hit the road and and you're still spending twenty minutes packing your tent away, I'll pass. Thank you. You know, I'm I'm a convenience guy. I do humanitarian work. I'm here today. I'm there tomorrow. I'm not in the same place. And uh, I mean, I can I literally did a vlog on my on my um, four sleeper and I timed it 
Um, and it's convenient. And that's exactly what I go for. How quick does it take to pack away? Yeah. Um, and I, I totally agree with you. When you use it all the time, you have to be realistic, man. You can't, uh, you can't go for price. You can't go for anything other than convenience and the length of time it takes to do it. I'm I'm a big fan of that. I I I'm, I I would not complain paying for, playing good good money for a good rooftop. Yeah, that's for sure. After three weeks on the road with our old one, where we're waking up and it's below zero, and we need to put our tent away, and my fingers are freezing off because I have to do all the straps and the buckles and everything and put the cover on. It's just, it just you know, there's no there's no substitute for the ease of use and convenience putting things away. And that's why a lot of tent manufacturers, they say, hey, our tent sets up in 35 seconds. That's great. You can set it up in 35 seconds, but it's still an eight-minute teardown because you have to cover it, unfold it, take all your bedding out, do all. It's just ridiculous. Right. Whereas, you know, we learned the hard way <laughs> three three tenths later, but we're there now. <laughs> <laughs> so so you're, a, you're a, you know, like you said, you, you also do a lot of your online research and stuff like that. I mean, I... What is your favorite mod on your vehicle? At well, what's your favorite mod, and what's your wife's favorite mod on your uh, on your Jeep? Ooh, that's hard. So, um, <laughs> there's so many mods. I was reading this question earlier, and I was sitting there listing everything that I've done. It gave me a headache. Um, <laughs> I think I'm sorry. It's still alien. No, it's all right. No worries. Um, I really love. Well, I'm really proud of most things because I've built myself most of the things that we have or set up myself. Um, I think probably my favorite mod that we've done is we have a hundred watt solar panel on the hood of the Jeep on the bonnet that is always passively charging. And it um, charges our big Marine deep cycle AGM battery that we have. And that's probably my favorite mod. It's also my most recent mod, but it's just great to, we leave the fridge in the car. We have an ARB 37 quart. Um, we got it for okay. dirt, dirt cheap and it works great. Um, so we just leave the fridge turned on in the car at all times. And I don't have to worry about the battery ever dying. Granted, the battery is huge. It's a 105 amp hour battery. But still, I just I never have to worry about it going dead ever. And the solar panel is just phenomenal. Do you... Um... Do you have a deep cycle or a semi-deep cycle? Uh, it's a deep cycle marine battery. So it's a proper AGM. Seattle's a huge boat city. There's tons of marine yes, shops yes. around. So a lot of the stuff that I have or that I get is inspired by the Marines, marine world. Okay. So, okay. yeah. That's 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 pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, and your wife, what do you, has she told you or shared with you? Or, Honestly? Uh, um. She she loves the fact that we have the solar panel too. We can keep our beer cold. Like I said, we don't really cook that much, so we eat, we eat, <laughs> eat from cans while on the road most of the time. Um, yes, I think you know probably the tent. Honestly, I don't think if we had the tent that we would be going out nearly as much as we do because of yeah. the ease of use. And Emily's not a big fan of sleeping on the ground, which I totally get. Um, so. Yeah, probably the tent. Okay, yeah, that's pretty cool. And then tell me on your um, uh, on your navigation, what's your go-to for nav? I mean, what do you use that uh, uh, that you when you when you come in that, that you turn on? Is it a, a normal Garmin? Is it a TomTom? A, a iPad? A, a tablet? So, 
the first and most important thing, I grew up in scouts. And so for me, the yes. most important thing is have a paper map and a compass of what you need because yeah. those will never fail you. So we always try to have a map of where we're going. Um, on top of that, most of the time we use an iPad with Gaia GPS on it. Um, okay. It's just, you know, it's not very good for anywhere else but North America, but it is phenomenal. There's so many different map layers that you can download and different tracks and it's just, it's been really, really great. So I bought a, um, an iPad cellular, uh, just a garbage used one that um, yes. took out the chip, took out the SIM card because you don't need it, but it has a GPS chip in it. So yes. we just used that. And um, we use a, um, we use a map, a map layer called Neotrex land use. And one of the great things about this is it tells you who owns the land that you're on. And in the U.S., oh, there's cool. so many different public there's so many different governmental agencies that own these giant tracts of land and each one has different rules about where you can camp, when you can camp, what you can do. So this way we always know exactly where we are and who's on whose land we're on so that we know, Oh, okay. So this place here, it's Bureau of land management. We can stay here for 18 days if we want to, we never do, but yeah. it's just really good to know whose land we're on at all times so that we're not driving through somebody's private property. That's fair enough. And again, respectful, which goes back to our first uh, um, opening comments, which is, you know, you're obviously sticking true to your word, which is, which is very, very fair. Um, And tell me best, best and worst track uh, or moment that you've had. Oh, this one's hard. So. I mean, that many. (laughs) Well, we have a thing that Emily and I talk about. It's called type one, two or three fun. Um, Type yeah. one fun is just genuinely, I'm having fun. I know this is going to be fun. This is great. Type two fun is, oh, this is terrible. Everything's horrible. But when you look back on it, you're like, that was great. And then yes. type three fun is just pure misery the whole time. So we haven't had very much type three fun. Um, we're able to kind of see yes. the sunny side of everything. Um, probably our worst moment on the track was <laughs> in Kenya. Um we decided that we wanted to, we were in Mombasa and we decided we wanted to overland all the way to Nairobi before we flew home, which it's not that long of a trip, yeah. you know, a couple of days and there's some amazing sure. parks there. So we had reached out to a company to rent a Land Rover to um, make the drive and they gave us all the camping gear and everything we needed. So all we had to bring is our bags. And so we, um, on, on our day of departure, uh, these gentlemen show up in an old, I think it was a 300 TDI. So a pretty old Land Rover, uh, 110, 300 yeah. TDI. And looking it over, the first thing I noticed is the spare tire, <laughs> there's a big chunk missing out of it on the sidewall. So it was still, it still hold, held air, but there was a chunk missing. So that was kind of um, worrisome. But in closer inspection, we were like, okay, it's not leaking. So potentially this might be okay. But yeah, we just yeah. paid good money for this car, so we told the guys, hey, go get this fixed. Just because it, <laughs> you know. Well, it's fixed. Yeah, yeah, and they can. It's easy to do. There's, you know, heaps of tire shops everywhere. So they went got it fixed and came back. All great. So then we're driving, and I believe we hit Sabo East National Park. Okay. And we noticed it's dripping underneath the vehicle. So we look underneath, and, oh, there's a leak in the petrol tank. So this is great. So we're, you know, pouring diesel on the ground, which is not the best. So 
we call them again and we're like, Hey, we're leaking petrol. What's going on here? And they're like, okay, take it to the shop and I'll fix it. And so we took it to this shop in one of the small towns and one of the really, you know, enterprising gentlemen, he fixed it with like some like chewy epoxy Bondo kind of thing. And it was Uh definitely, it was definitely not the most reliable or like happy fix that I've ever seen, but did the job yeah. so we were like okay this is okay everything's fine let's move on you know and i didn't have a lot of experience with land rovers at that point so i didn't realize that you know this old beat up 300 tdi was not the nicest vehicle for us to be on our own in the middle of nowhere with so then we kept driving everything was fine and then we started to get this weird like just loss of power we're in the middle of savo west now like in one yeah, of the tracks yeah. way out of nowhere. Um, and we just keep losing power. I gun it, we'd go for a while and then it would just sputter out and die in a coast. We'd sit for a while and rev the engine. And then finally it would turn back on and we'd go a little bit more and then it would die again. And we're just, we have no cellular service. We're in the middle of nowhere in Savo West. A dog's losing her mind. Stop it, dog. Um, we're in the middle of nowhere. We're, in the middle of Savo West and we don't have this vehicle that's working. And so we finally limp it. We found a lodge. I forget the name of the lodge. And they are so nice though. And we find a lodge and they have little yeah. bandas. So we were able to rent a banda for the day and, or for the night. And then we were going to try to make a phone call to get, <laughs> just call the people over the rental company to be like, Hey, the vehicle's dying. Yeah. So I finally popped the hood and I realized the fuel filter had been bypassed completely. And so this is an injected vehicle. And so the fuel filter, they just bypassed because apparently they didn't want to replace it. And so the injectors were getting clogged. And because the tank had a hole in it, I think water got in. So there was rust in the tank. And so the injectors were clogging. So we're like, okay, this is a problem. It kind of, the vehicle kind of, you know, it worked sporadically for a while until it would lose power or lose spark or lose whatever. And then we would, just yeah. it would die again. So, and there's no cellular service at this at this lodge. So we had to drive up a hill. We kind of limped the Land Rover, dying every you know minute or two. Got to the top of this hill in the middle of the bush, and then I had to make a telephone call, but I couldn't get the service within the vehicle. So I had to be outside of the car to make the service. Now we're in the middle of the Africa in a national park in Kenya. And I'm like wandering around the track trying to make a phone call. So my wife is standing on top of the Land Rover on the lookout because yeah, you never yeah. want to just be wandering around on the nowhere. No, no, no. And so I'm making the call. And so eventually, you know, we got a hold of the guys and they're like, okay, we'll be there tomorrow. And so then after, you know, phone tag and waiting, you know, this is Africa. This is the way it works. Um, hurry up, hurry and, up and wait. Um, they came and they had a nice TD5 that they gave us and they limped the whole 300 TDI back to their place and the rest of the trip was okay. But it was <laughs> it was one of those type 2 fun where I look back at it now and I'm like, that was awesome. We talk about it. We joke about it all the time. I learned, I yeah. learned a lot and it was fantastic, but it was not fun during the time because... No, no, I, I completely agree with you. You know, I just, I'm, I'm going to in, interrupt you there because I have to say two things. Um, Land Rovers, uh, there's always a big joke about Land Rovers and Defenders especially. And, uh, you know, they make mechanics out of non-mechanics. Instantly. 
Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's amazing. I, I had a, I had a guy put petrol, uh, in my diesel tank on my way home oh, no. from my humanitarian trip in Botswana last year, rushing to, rushing to my daughter's, uh, play. I had to be there at six. We left on time. Everything was good. And then they put petrol in my diesel, completely ruined me for six hours. Yeah. Um, I was supposed to get home at five, half past five, actually. I got home at quarter past one or something like that in the morning. Oh, my gosh. Um, so completely ruined it for me. But the other thing is is exactly what we're talking about, you know, and I say this every time uh, on, my, uh, on, on one of these podcasts is, you know, no good story ever starts off with when I, when I went to the kitchen to boil the kettle for a cup oh, yeah. of tea, you know. It starts off with I was driving and it was leaking fuel mm -hmm. and, you know, we were standing on the roof because, you know, we wanted to make sure that the guy or the person looking for signal doesn't get charred by a exactly. line. You know? it's, uh, it's, it's pretty mm -hmm. awesome. But, uh, listen, Aaron, I think, I think part of the problem here is we can carry on talking <laughs> for another, for, for another That's hour. That's for sure. Um, I know you have to go. Uh, I'm, I'm smelling dinner down for oh, yeah. and uh, I just want to thank you and I applaud you for for honoring and doing exactly as you say. I think your trips and tours are pretty epic. Um, I'm following you, and, and ladies and gentlemen listening to this, please go onto their websites. It'll be on the um, and their social media handles. It'll be uh, in the description below, and um, follow them on Instagram, on their own uh, um, on their own website, which is very very informative. They are bloggers, so they've got everything you want. Uh, in there and, and uh, Aaron thanks to you and your wife uh, for the effort and, and I, I look forward to seeing you in Cape Town hopefully soon and uh, you know sooner than expected I should yeah say. thank you very much Anton this has been a lot of fun I completely agree thanks a lot and have a blessed day for you too man. bye